Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Welcome to episode 11 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. As always, I am Sai, your host. Thank you very, very much for pressing play or download or however you listen to your podcasts and taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen to me waffle on about wrestling for a little while. It's hugely, hugely appreciated. On today's show, we have uh, the podfather himself, Mags, returning as we look back on the career of potentially the greatest tag team of all time, the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal. Um, it's it's a really, really great discussion. So many memories. And I want to say thank you to everyone who reached out on the show's social medias um, to put forward your thoughts and memories on the Road Warriors. Um, that, that's great. I mean, the more interaction we have, the better. My aim is to make this show as great for you as I possibly can. Those who, who make the effort to listen, and I really appreciate. Um, you can contact the show on facebook and twitter at sjp wrestling pod uh, keep your eyes out on the social media platforms there because that's where we'll be posting about upcoming topics upcoming shows that we're going to be covering looking for your thoughts questions or or, or anything else or any other form of interactions you wish to put forward um, again thank you very much for listening and we'll get straight to it a look back on potentially the greatest tag team of all time hawk and animal the road warriors Joining me back on the show for the, what, third time, I think, to discuss the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, the legendary tag team. Uh, he is the Paul Ellering to my Rocco. He is the Hawk to my animal. And what a rush it is to have Mags back on the show for the third time to discuss this legendary team. How are we doing, sir? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. I'm uh, I'm so that heart for the for the invite, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, uh, the LOD were were my boys back when I first started getting into wrestling. Uh, and yeah, so it was an honour when you said yeah you wanted to discuss like the the their history and and, and what what stood out about the LOD to me. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for the invite, mate. Well, when when I thought about um, well, when obviously Animal was the the, the sort of catalyst for this, Animal's mm-hmm. passing recently. Uh, that sort of trail into September. Um, I, I I was a big fan of Legion of Doom when I was a kid. Um, I've, I've always liked watching their matches back as an adult as well. Uh, I wanted to do something because I thought they were such a hugely influential part of my growing up, my fandom um, as a wrestling fan in the early nineties, and they were such an influence on the business in general. Everyone mm-hmm. knows of them. Um, I thought, well, I need somebody on, and I know that you're an even bigger fan than I, and that these are, as you say, these are your guys. So really, there was only one person to ask. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, the, uh, when I first started watching, I mean, we've spoke about this on on multiple shows, but when I first started watching wrestling, it was because my grand watched wrestling, so we kind of watched it together. Uh, and the wrestlers I were were fans of were her her favorite, because obviously I was a little kid. She said that these were the best, so they were the guys who I stuck with. But the first 
uh, wrestlers who I can really remember me latching onto through my own choice were the Legion of Doom uh, when they came into the the WWF in, in uh, the early 1990, mid-1990. They, they just stood out to me. They were like, who are these guys? They came in, took uh, took no names, kicked all of the ass. They, they didn't sell. They just looked like absolute bruisers. And I, I just remember sitting there and just mouth wide open just wow these these are the guys <laughs> they're the absolute best and they they said that they were best they proved that they were best and yeah just they just like really resonated with me and uh yeah just started off my fandom with them yeah it's 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 funny how they do resonate and even now i mean that wwf run that was in the early 90s that was actually uh, I always thought it was much longer than it was. No, it was about 18 months, I think, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they left just after the sort of famous motorbike entrance at SummerSlam 92, didn't they? Well, Hawk did yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, and it was only sort of mid-1990 they came in. But the impact they had in that short period is, is really what kind of stands out to me because that's, that's kind of where I discovered them as well. And, I mean, to sort, sort of touch upon how, how much they... Were, were memorable and impactful. I, I kind of did a little bit of uh, an experiment over the last couple of days, and I contacted quite a few of my non-wrestling fans and just asked, straight away asked them the question, just sent them a message saying, do you know or remember who the Legion of Doom are? Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that said no, I just simply, without any captions or words, sent them a picture. Um, now, bear in mind, these people are not wrestling fans, and they're from all ages. They include my parents right down to... Um, young kids that are sort of the children of friends of mine and so on. It was, I would say, three quarters of the questions I asked were, yes, we remember them, yes, we know them, or at least they would describe them to me and say, was it these guys? So it goes to show, I suppose, how symbolic and how much they stuck out to, well, in the memory. I mean, guys like, I suppose, Hogan and Flair, everyone kind of knows them, whether you're fans or not. And I, I think that the Legion of Doom are probably the only tag team that is on that level that it, it is that impactful to non-fans as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you if you remember back in 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 that run in the in uh, the from 1990 to 1992, uh, that was a time when WWE uh, didn't acknowledge at all that there was competition. They, yeah. Uh, when a, when yeah, a team right. was brought in or when a wrestler was brought in, they dropped. Everything that that uh, that was to do with their their past career, they came in as as someone new. Unless you were like a huge star like Hogan, uh, but these guys came in and they were straight away at the top of the card. There was no kind of like uh, having to work your way up uh, to the titles. They were instantly thrown into the mix. And and when it got to uh, like the big shows like Survivor Series, they were with the the top guys. They were with guys like um, uh, Ultimate Warrior and Texas Tornado. They were thrown into like these huge, um, huge matches and these huge feuds because they 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 were just they were lit, they were the best. They they came in and they they had a massive buzz about them, uh, and it, it it just got to show that back then you you could work off your reputation, and they had this reputation that they were they were just absolute destroyers in the ring and. That eighteen month run, it, it it feels like it was five, six, seven years long. Yeah, definitely. But, but it was it was so short and so impactful. But I suppose as well with 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 that saying about how the short WWF run in the nineties, which I think is the main 
memory for people of a certain age, the, the sort of symbolic red and black spikes and the WWE production levels and and so on. Um, if you actually have a look through their, their careers in general, they didn't hang around anywhere very long. I no. mean, Georgia was was where they initially got into the business working for Ole Anderson. And that was only about a year, year and a half tops. Um, the AWA was a short run. Um, Japan, I suppose you can't really count because... They were in and out of there. Yeah, back and forth was how it works yeah. over there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, leaving the AWA and going back to... Well, going back to the NWA, Jim Crocker Promotions and so on, was a few years again. It, nowhere seems to be a substantially long run at all. So, I mean... It, but wherever they were, they, they ended up, I suppose, as much as a tag team can be, I guess. They ended up as top guys. They ended up being a huge attraction. You know, so being able to jump from company to company to company and still be at that level, I think, is a testament to, like you said, the reputation they had. And yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me of something that I'm, I'm sure it was Jim Cornette that, that uh, said it uh, was that uh, you have a when when you have that territory system back then. I mean, I know WWF that did the best to kind of kill that off uh, yeah. in, going into the nineties, but when you had that uh, territory system, you could you could run a territory and be an absolute top guy for eighteen months, two years. But then you could go away to another uh, place and and not have any because there was no internet and there was no like real tape trading back then. That that territory then would miss you whilst you were away for for another two three years, and then when you went back, you were all of a sudden back in the in the in the big time, and you're like the uh, you kind of like uh, top guys there again. So it, it, they were like almost the epitome of of kind of moving from territory to territory to keep yourself fresh and keep yourself uh, at the top of, of of the wrestling game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean it's. It was a different world, I suppose, wasn't it, with the whole uh, territories and so on. Mm-hmm. But it, it really just amazed me of how huge these guys were, that each run was quite short. I mean, looking at, at Georgia early on, um, the whole Legion of Doom name stems from a stable. They Obviously, they were the Road Warriors, weren't they? But yeah. it stems from a stable that they had in those days, in the in the early days with Ole Anderson in the... Uh, in Georgia Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually had somebody message us from Twitter asking for a, a deeper dive. It was John Hastings, at law underscore Hastings on Twitter, yeah. um, asking for a deeper dive into the stable. Uh, I'm thinking, Mags, maybe that's something we could try and look into for another show because we're limited for, for time. We only record for a certain period of time, and, and there's so much to cover Um with these guys' careers in in the in the short window of of my recording show, yeah. um, but what what are your initial thoughts on on this stable? I mean, it was full of it had quite a, quite a substantial amount of talent alongside. Yeah, them, didn't um, it? I mean, looking into the the stable online, there's it's it's quite hard to actually get a lot of information about them. Uh, if you go to yeah. the if you go onto like cagematch.com, which is a uh, where you, you kind of like get the the scores uh, uh, from Dave Meltzer and and uh, like that basic information like times of, of matches and, and results and stuff like that. They're only actually uh, 
there's only actually three matches that they that they've got listed as the Legion of Doom. Uh, but the group was was huge. It had uh, obviously the Road Warriors were in it. Uh, Jake Roberts was in it. Uh, the Spoiler, Matt Bourne, King Kong Bundy, uh, Arn Anderson was a member, and both the original and, and Iron Sheik. It was a it was a it was like a murderer's roar of a uh, incredible of, list. Yeah, that that's that's a disgusting level of talent for the early 80s. Uh, no wonder they were called the Legion of Doom because who the hell could go up against them? Um, but I don't think the stable was was that long uh, together in terms of like, uh, uh, match, match um, uh, numbers, but I think it was more like a, a brotherhood almost where they all were like... Kind of like the Four Horsemen, if you will, where they all had their own issues going on, but they 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 were in like this kind of group of 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 uh, essentially friends. Yeah, sort of covering their their mates' backs and and so yeah. on. I, I would assume. Yeah, I, I I'd heard of this, um, but the same as you, I sort of tried to look into it and try and do a bit of research. But there's not masses out there, like you said. I think that's no. something that maybe we can come back to. I mean, thank you, John, for for getting yeah, in touch and letting. Yeah. You know, it's definitely something that I think maybe, Max, we can have you back on and look into that a bit more and potentially do something on Georgia or even early stables or something at a future date. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun to do. Yeah, I mean, seeing Matt Bourne's name thrown in there as well, it makes me laugh. Obviously, Doink the Clown <laughs> and so on. But that guy was hugely underrated. Yeah, um, so, so, so much. I've got an episode of uh, Badlands coming up with uh, with clowns, and I think he's probably going to be my number one pick. Yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was the old Skinner, wasn't it? He chucked the face paint on at one stage as well. Mm-hmm. Steve Kerr, yeah. Skinner, yeah. 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 Um, okay, I mean, with regards to them starting off their wrestling careers in Georgia... Um, they were trained by Eddie Sharkey um, mm-hmm. and picked up by Ole Anderson down there. But shortly before this, or whilst they were training, um, there's all these stories about them being doormen or bouncers or security at various bars, isn't there? And yeah, uh, I, uh, I've heard Animal tell a fantastic story of uh, um, a, a big burly biker wearing his colours comes to the door and Animal's just explaining to him before he goes in, you sit down, you have a drink, let's have no trouble. Um, not, no issues at all, just explaining what he would expect from this this potentially paying customer, I guess. Um, and then out of nowhere, Hawk just jumps over his shoulder and laps the guy in the mouth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and what, uh, what uh, surprised me was another member of this kind of group was uh, was one of my other favourite wrestlers, uh, Repo Man, uh, yeah. Barry Darso. He, he, they were all kind of, it was like a, a big, like, um, almost like melting pot of wrestling talent around there in, in, in Minnesota. I mean, you had Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude, um, Barry Darso, and these guys all training to wrestlers at the, at the same time. Uh, and what what a bunch of talent that is coming out of that one little group. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's quite a list. Um, I, I can't imagine why, when you look at these guys and the pictures of these fellas in sort of 82, 83, which is like I'm, the rough time period, why you'd want to cause trouble in that bar anyway? Surely, their their presence would be enough. Do you know what I mean? They were quite uh, quite imposing even back then, weren't they? Absolutely, they were. I mean, I'd say probably more imposing because they when they when they're in the WWF, you could tell they were. It was a lot of character work. But when you look back at like their NWA uh, and and Georgia promos, they look like two guys who, if you looked at them the wrong way, they would just rearrange your face. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, again, you, you say about the, the character work in the WWF, and I, I suppose I refer to it as like the production of them as well and, and so on. Um, and there's all the stories about yeah. them being super stiff in the ring and in the early days especially, just, just beating up enhancement talents and so on. I think because of this reputation, sometimes the level of work they were actually capable of is occasionally sort of maybe mildly overlooked. I mean, because they were absolutely fantastic and it wasn't just beating the crap out of someone that they they really could i mean hawk's leg standing leg drop was was it looked incredible the guy could get several feet in the air um drop kicks from guys that size as well mm-hmm. i think occasionally the actual work they could produce is is marginally overlooked by this reputation of just being absolute battering rams yeah i think uh if you if you do look at the the, the Georgia work and and the AWA work uh, and the NWA work especially, they 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 kind of earned that um, that um, kind of reputation for for being stiff uh, and not selling and kind of like not paying their dues almost because they they instantly came in and were top guys in every mm. promotion. But then you look back at the, the the WWF work and it's almost kind of now and day. Yeah, they still had that kind of hard-hitting, uh, uh, like beat-em-up beat kind of style, but Hawk really improved on his selling. I mean, Hawk especially, uh, he would he would often be the kind of like uh, facing peril almost where he, he'd take the beatdowns a lot. And I think they really kind of... Uh, Added to their their wrestling uh, uh, facet in in the early run of the the WWF, and that kind of like followed them through then into into New Japan and then into WCW, and then kind of when they were flipping between companies. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that their work rate is is very very underrated, and and it, it's a bit simplistic saying that they they were kind of just brawlers. I think they, there was a lot of technical skill beyond that that brawling style. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Hawk there, um, and is selling, and so on. Yeah, okay, selling improved. They still didn't do a great deal of it, but I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, to, out of the two, I mean, I, I, I love both guys. I love the team. They, they were great. But out of the two, I was always a bigger Hawk fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't know whether that was just down to how crazy he was or, or the level of charisma. But as a kid, it was always him. I kind of drifted more towards when deciding who my favorites were and so on um i I believe you told me this week that you were the same weren't you yeah and for exactly the same reasons the i mean animal is a is a a star in my eyes he absolutely always will be but yeah was the one that that drew you in uh you just didn't know what he was going to say when he got on the mark i I, I think he was probably arguably the better technical wrestler um but yeah, it's it just it was just a big ball of charisma wrapped up in his spark shoulder pads and 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 war paint. Yeah, it was it was, it was my favourite by a long way. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I mean, we had somebody else from from Twitter reach out um, when I when I put the post out uh, about the show upcoming and asked for people's thoughts on the Road Warriors and so on. Um, James from that Mountains Wrestling Podcast. Great. Guy. Um, yeah, yeah, top fella, great show as well. If you haven't heard it, you should really go out your your way to have a listen to his show. It's fantastic. Um, he actually said that he remembers Paul Heyman at one stage stating that if he was to start a new promotion, Hawk would be his number one guy. Hawk would be the guy he would build that company around. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Would you, do you think that could have worked with Hawk as a number one guy as a main eventer in a singles scene? 
Um, speaking as a fan, absolutely. I would have bought that yeah. uh, all day long. Uh, being more kind of objective, it would have been interesting to see how he would have worked as a singles wrestler because uh, a lot of the, the 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 stuff that I know of him, it, it was all tag team wrestling. Uh, mm. It'd be it'd be uh, it'd be an interesting to to see if he could like hang on on his own, and I'm sure he absolutely could have. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a it's a great pick because it would have brought a massive legitimacy to to uh, any promotion. Uh, if you have a, a guy like Hawk at the top, huge muscles, hard hitting. If you beat someone like him, you're instantly a, a made man. If you can like get the better of a, of a wrestler, the body shape of Hawk, you you are suddenly one of the top guys in that company. So, yeah, I can totally understand uh, Paul Ehrman's viewpoint there. It makes absolutely a lot, a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and because of all the reasons you've listed there, if Hawk is your top guy and he's holding your title, it adds value to your championship, I guess. My, my only concern would be his, uh, to coin a wrestling term that's used so often, his, his demons, I guess. If you're going to, you know, hammer your colours to that particular mask, is it going to be... Is he going to be reliable, dependable, and from a business standpoint, um, is that going to be what you need backstage, I guess? But again, in ring, I, I completely agree with you. Um, yeah. So after, after Georgia, they, they headed home, I suppose, because of where it's based, to the AWA. Um, both uh, have spoke about watching the AWA um, when they were fans in previous years and so on. Um, yeah, checking back to the AWA, beating uh, Baron Von Raschke and The Crusher for the AWA yep. titles. Um, the you know one of the earlier championships that inevitably became a huge list of titles won. Um, have you any memories or matches that y- you can think of from the AWA days that stick out? Um, uh, let me just go down my list. I've got, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the ones that uh, I mean, like like I've said before, I was I was never like privy to wrestling outside of the WF for for the longest time because yeah, you, you just couldn't get it where where I live. But uh, this doing this show is kind of like prompted me to to go back and look at the, some of the stuff. Uh, so one that I've, I picked out was a uh, was uh, the Raw Warriors against. Um, the Fabulous Freebirds, uh, ah, okay. the the uh, Wrestle Rock nineteen eighty six match. Uh, now, this this match when you watched it, it actually as a newer fan uh, or for a newer fan, it actually I think it looks pretty confusing because it's a it seems like a regular tag match, uh, but it's it's surrounded by a cage with all that the kind of like nuances and 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 uh, elements that bring in a cage. Uh, into a match that like involves like throwing your opponent into it, um, climbing up to to do high risk moves, uh, but yeah, the, going back and watching this match, uh, it, it's it's interesting that nobody in the in the match wanted any piece of uh, of the Warriors. I told Jimmy Garvin didn't want to <laughs> get in. Uh, he forced a tag on. Uh, he was forced to tag by Michaelis because Michaelis didn't want to get in. Uh, the match is actually quite short. I mean, you going back through like the the annals of history. The LOD weren't very well known for long matches. Yeah, uh, they to weren't be fair. paid by the hour, were really. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But this one, this match, uh, you have uh, uh, Michaelis getting bust up. Uh, uh, he attempts to use a, a foreign object. 
uh, but he gets caught. He, he gets oh, he caught his partner in the head, which led to the the Road Warriors uh, picking up the victory. But yeah, it was a it was it was a, a good way to kind of show that that early style of, of the Road Warriors where they basically just kicked asses and took no, took no names. It was just a, a very one-sided, brutal victory. And, and it showed the kind of respect that a lot of, uh, a lot of the promotions and other teams had from that, that, um, the, the fabulous Freebirds, who were huge back then, had, didn't want any piece of them at all. So yeah, that was uh, one of the, the, the earlier matches that I had a, a look back on. And yeah, it was a, it was a fun watch. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mention that, actually. I mean, somebody else who reached out to the show. I mean, we had a lot of interactions about, about the, the Road Warriors. That's like, again, that's was testament to how impactful they were for people growing up and so on. Um, at HandyT1TF um, okay. on Twitter, reached out to the show, and he mentioned the matches with the Three Birds. As he said, he's been the, the Legion of Doom were... Again, similar to yourself, his guys, they were his favourite team and always have been. Um, and those matches with the Freebirds were the ones that he mentioned in particular as a big, strong memory from growing up, um, watching these guys. Um, again, a, a big shout out to Handy as well. The guy, the guy's always been really supportive of anything I do with my articles and, and, and the show. So I want to make sure that he understands I appreciate him. I think the guy's great. But yeah, it's funny that you mentioned going back and doing research for this show and seeing a match now in, in, in 2020 is also something that stood out back then when it was first aired as well. It's, 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 it's quite good, I think, when that sort of thing happens because it shows how great these contests were. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I, I just re- regret the fact that I couldn't have access to this at the time because I would have loved to kind of like be able to watch that in real time and, and kind of feel what the crowd were feeling back then. Uh, but then it's also great that in, in 2020, we have access to, to the, these, uh, these matches and these events that would have, would have usually been lost to, like, to the annals of time almost. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's so much content you can get online. It's just, it's fantastic. I mean, the one thing that pops in my head about the, the AWA days um, again on on the WWE Network. If if nobody uh, if anybody out there has not seen it yet, there's a Road Warriors documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great sit down conversation with Animal and Songs. It was filmed, oh, I don't know, two thousand and five, two thousand and six ish. I would guess. Quite a while ago, yeah. Yeah, but it's still it's still very interesting sort of snippet, in, and it shows various moments of their career, and it's great hearing Animal talk about it. And obviously, Hawk by this stage had, had already passed away. So it's interesting hearing him talk about Hawk, and those are the usual sort of talking heads of other people from the business popping up and giving their thoughts. But in the AWA, they were at one stage, as Animal tells this, I'm going to be paraphrasing here, so apologies if I get any details wrong, but as Animal tells this, um, Vern Gagne, head of the AWA at the time, or well, not at the time, head of the AWA full stop, I guess, um, wanted the Road Warriors to lose to the Fabulous Ones. I believe it was a title match. You wanted them to drop the belt to the, t- to the Fabulous Ones with a finish that Hawk and Animal um, deemed as making them look silly. Yeah. And they were saying that basically, again, Animal sort of explained, we're supposed to be street fighters from Chicago. Why on earth would we fall for this silly trick? We're not doing it. Um, for some reason, Vern Gagne and the Fabulous Ones and everyone else involved just kind of assumed that 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 wasn't the case and they were actually going to go out and and, and do the match as planned um but then in the ring hawk and animal quite regularly told them apparently during the during the contest 
were not doing that finish. And when it yeah. came time for the finish, it ended up with them all just jumping out the ring, grabbing chairs and, and, and smacking the crap out of each other and going to a double <laughs> DQ and, and Virangania losing his crap backstage because of what they'd done. I, I just think that's a real snippet, I suppose, of the attitude that they had. They, they wanted to protect their gimmick. And at the same time, I think it actually makes sense. No, we would look silly doing that and refusing to drop a belt isn't something I, I condone, but at the same time, it makes me laugh. The Road Warriors literally stood there in the ring going, yeah, we ain't doing that. <laughs> Who's going to make them? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and back then, you kind of lived and died on, on your reputation. Uh, yeah. And if you looked ridiculous in, in in a match, you can see, especially guys who, who were, let's just say, party animals back then, and uh, they, they kind of like took no took no shit off anyone i can totally understand why they would have that that kind of mindset yeah and i'm I'm like you i don't really kind of like um agree with the fact that they they held the 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 belts to ransom almost but you can also see them wanted to protect their future earnings because they've still got to to uh have a career after after dropping these titles and they've still got to look legitimate yeah of course yeah of course um in that sort of time period, sort of mid-80s and, and, and rumbling on, the AWA was very much falling apart. It was on its last legs. And, and, and the Road Warriors uh, departed and headed back to what is, I suppose, eventually to become WCW. It was the NWA, Jim Cocker Promotions sort of area. Yeah. Um, and in 1986, there's a couple of big moments in their careers there. They won the first Crockett Cup tag tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, shown on television, a huge exposure for them, shown on this big, big TV station that um, the NWA had access to. And then, of course, there's the Midnight Express feud. Um, oh, again, another one that I, I I wanted to go back and watch because it's one of those kind of like iconic uh, feuds and very much an iconic match. I mean, it's not the best match, but it was definitely iconic. Oh, it's, it, as a visual, it's insane, isn't it? Starcade 86, we're, we're, yeah. we're referring to here, aren't we? The, the Night Skywalkers. of the Skywalkers. Oh, my yeah. word. Just looking at it, and, and I think it helps with how old the footage is. Because the, the, you can get old wrestling footage that doesn't look too old. To me, this looks dated, if that makes sense. The, the production, yeah. everything about it, it looks very much of its time. It looks very much 1986. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But, I mean, it, this hasn't aged as a visual with current production uh, values and so on that we have now, or potentially what the WWF had only a few short years later. But yeah, I, I think in this scenario, it helps what you're looking at. I think this, the, whole, the, the whole sort of slightly dingy arena, it's a bit smoky, it's a bit, and, the, and the, the scaffolding's a bit rickety. I think it really adds to what you're watching. The the scaffolding's a bit rickety is the probably the biggest understatement of of, <laughs> of this show because I've seen blamonges that don't wobble as much as this scaffolding. It was just <laughs> yeah, you, you're right. It, it a lot of uh, you look back at a lot of uh, older wrestling and and in 2020s hours you think yeah this this the production is terrible, but this if this had like quality production i don't think you'd have that kind of like effect that that they they were going for it looked 
as dangerous as it actually probably was, to be fair. I mean, when you see the guys climbing the the, the scaffolding and it's all wobbling and there's a point where, there's a, a moment where I think it's uh, Animal leans on on that, the support fence that's going round the, the top of the scaffold and it just comes apart and it just falls off and you're like, these guys are going to kill themselves. Someone's dying today in this match. I mean, the, the whole idea of, of wrestling like 12 foot above the ring on a scaffold is it sounds ridiculous absolutely ridiculous but it's so iconic you just you you speak about uh night of the skywalkers and you're instantly drawn to to this match something else that stands out about the the match at starcade 86 is apparently hawk cut off um a cast but just before going out he's in the dressing room changing ring so on he actually had a broken a broken bone in his leg and Animal says, again, on this WWE documentary that I saw, and in various other shoot interviews that, that, that are out there with Animal, he says that he cut the cast off Hawk's leg and taped it up for him just to be able to get him out there. Because um, he was basically wrestling with a, a broken bone or a cracked bone of, of some description. That's insane. That is, you're not just wrestling a match. Um, you're, as you said, you're on this blancmange-like scaffolding, 12 whatever foot up in the air, uh, effectively on one leg. That, 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 that blows my mind. I mean, the the name Animal fits for them both because yeah. they were absolute animals. I mean, you couldn't imagine that nowadays uh, one of, say, FTR uh, wrestling with a broken leg. You just couldn't imagine it happening. But back then it was it was kind of like shake yourself off and, and, and get the job done. Uh, and it, it's testament to just how tough these guys were that a broken leg wouldn't stop him wrestling a match on on a, a two-foot bad, 20-foot scaffolding, 12-foot mm. uh, in the air. Madness. Absolute madness. And, and speaking of uh, leg injuries, of course, Mr. Cornette <laughs> oh, took a bit of a, a, bit of a nasty of bump, didn't he? And and that goes to show just how dangerous this match were. I mean, before that happened, you there were there were points where um, Condry and Eaton were, you could see the terror in their eyes being involved in this match uh, they, they they absolutely would not go to the middle of the, the scaffolding they were grabbing old every time there was even a punch thrown they, they went down and, and grabbed the, the, the scaffold to make sure they didn't fall there were a point where they were trying to monkey bar across the, the, the scaffolding and, and you could oh, see yeah. that that um, both of the Midnight Express were absolutely terrified Adam Hall they just didn't give a toss they yep. were down there uh, leaning off the scaffolding, trying to kick the living shit out of Bobby Eaton. And then <laughs> to, just to kind of prove how dangerous this was, Jim Cornette was 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 supposed to drop and get caught by a, a Big Bubba Rogers, I think it was. Uh, yeah, and he, right, yeah. he missed his cue. Cornette hit the ring, and uh, I'm sure he said he popped both his knees, and he ended up having to be carried away from the ring. So... Yeah, and these guys just went and and did this match. One of them with a broken leg just just shows how hard and how scary a, a tag team the 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 Road Warriors were. Yeah, and again to sort of summarise that, I think in a really good way. Um, uh, Richard at Asen Richard on on Twitter um, simply messaged the show and said one of the most believable teams ever. And yeah. it, it, it's true because you look at how how stiff they were working at times. So then you hear stories like this uh, of the, the whole broken leg cutting the cast off. It, it's very believable because that was literally them. They it, it's it's in, it's a real accurate 
tweet, I guess, that, that Richard sent us there, because he's spot on the money. One of the most believable, you genuinely thought these guys were absolute hard nuts, absolute head cases, probably because they actually were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, uh, I kind of like harken back to another match that I watched, uh, the the nineteen ninety Wrestle War, where they took on uh, the Skyscrapers. Yes. Um, when uh, me, Mark Callis, who we kind of know as the Undertaker now, uh, he he was without his usual partner, who was Dan Spavin. So they got a masked wrestler involved called uh, Mark Enos. Uh, and the the actual reason why he was a mask was he was actually part of the AWA's uh, tag team champions still then with uh, with Wayne Bloom. But that was another match where they just kicked the living shit out of each other. Uh, it was just a massive violent brawl, and then you you see uh, Doom come out with a uh, with a uh, Teddy Long. Uh, and and then you see Paul Ellering getting involved. Yeah, it, it just is another great example of of why they were first of all so popular with fans because they they look legitimate, and second of all that they, they they just brought it every match, no matter what. It was just that hard hitting, violent, quick style, and yeah, it, it's that what attracts you to to watching them because they just like you said they look they made wrestling look real. They made it look like an actual fight. Yeah, exactly, and that, that's what I want. That's what I want to see. I'm, I'm a fan of, for want of a better term, flippy, flying wrestling that you see sometimes with AEW. I find that entertaining, but there's quite a bit of it that takes me out at the moment when you've got guys who are just stood there waiting for someone to jump off the top rope onto them and so on. I, I admire the athleticism, but yeah. it, it doesn't look, as you said, to, to, to coin a phrase that you've just used, it doesn't look like a real fight. The Road Warriors... It looked like a real fight, probably because I reckon a lot of the time it was. But it, it did. It did look like a a real scrap. Um, yeah. So, Starcade '86. If anyone's not seen this this scaffolding this scaffold match, please again go back and check it out. It is it is Absolutely. quite quite the spectacle. It's it's unbelievable that the, the bumps that Cornette takes and that just just everything about it is just it's it's insane. And it's, um, it's not a, it's not a long match as well to watch. Uh, no, no, definitely. It, it doesn't go on for long, but yeah, they they pack a lot of action uh, into that that seven or eight minutes of of wrestling. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, from from there, they 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 were obviously involved in a in a big feud with the Horsemen as well. Um, a couple of years after this, they, there was the moment where they turned on Dusty Rhodes and took one of the spikes off their their shoulder pads and drove it in his eye. I mean, that that footage. Again, for 1988, it's quite. It, again, I keep using the phrase, but it's accurate. It's quite the visual. It's it's, it's mm-hmm. someone getting a metal spike rammed in their bloody eye for crying out loud. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, and 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 it and it's it shows the kind of impact that that has. That we've seen it again recently in in AEW with uh with Chris Jericho doing the same thing to to John Moxley. So it the, the things that they did still resonate today as as uh, uh in terms of wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, after after this, we, we sort of progress into 1990, and that's the, where where we sort of opened the show, I suppose, talking about um, the more memorable moments for us personally, and it seems quite a few other people I've asked in, in the last week or two. Um, the start of their short but very memorable WWF run. Um, wh- mm-hmm. when, when was the first moments with you that you can sort of remember sitting there seeing them because um, it would have been around, it would have been in this run, wouldn't it? So you say that you yeah. watched with your grandparents? 
Yeah, well, with my grand, especially my yeah. grand, my granddad wasn't a massive wrestling fan, but my my grand certainly was. Yeah, and it, it, for me, it's remembering watching uh, the likes of superstars and uh, wrestling challenge, and, and just see him absolutely demolish uh, jobbers. Just absolutely come in, have a one to two minute match, uh, wrecking a jobber, and then and then going off and and getting that road warrior pop. Uh, in terms of uh, like storylines, the the biggest one. Was was probably when the uh, the cost uh, demolition the titles. Oh, was that SummerSlam ninety? Yep. Yeah, the two. Uh, that, the I think that demolition. was the the first lap, the first lap real major feud that they that they come into was was to to basically uh, cost the the titles to uh, to the Hart Foundation and, and then go into the feud with demolition. I mean, that's, that's a brilliant match as well, if you ever go back and watch that. Two out of three mm-hmm. fours, wasn't it? I mean, the, the tag team scene back then, it's a real shame it's not treated with as much respect or as serious now, because the tag team scene back then, sort of late 80s, going into the early 90s in the WWF, with the likes of Demolition, the Heart Foundation, uh, the Road Warriors, the Rougeos, all these guys, it was a very, very strong division. But the Road Warriors coming in, mm-hmm. despite having all these already established WWF teams... The Road Warriors coming in instantly felt like stars again. They instantly felt like these guys are going to make a big, big difference. And obviously in that match, costing Demolition the title, um, they made an instant impact as well, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and then even after after uh, SummerSlam, when they were... It, this just shows the kind of... Um, the level that Legion of Doom were on uh, far and above uh, a lot of the tag teams that were were wrestling in in that time, they were thrown in with Ultimate Warrior as their as their tag team partner, who, who was the guy. He was the yeah. WWF champion. Uh, there was a, a match on uh, Saturday night's main event where there was a, a six-man. It was Demolition, obviously the the three-man team, uh, mm-hmm. Axe, Smash and Crush, and, and Warrior and Legion of Doom. And yeah, back then as a ten-year-old, it was it was everything a wrestling fan, a WWF wrestling fan, could dream of. You had the the best tag team uh, in my eyes and the world champion, someone who uh, who I'd really got behind. And it, 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 you talk about dream matches now. But back then, that was a huge match, absolutely huge match, and and it was just yeah. It was as a kid, uh, I I ate it all up, and as an adult rewatching it, yeah, I, I go back to those same kind of feelings that yeah, it's never going to be a five star classic. It's not it's not exactly a technical skill on the, the young books or uh, the level of, of like the Usos, but it was everything a ten year old wrestling fan wanted to watch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you wouldn't want to be stood the other side of the ring to those three, would you? I mean, the Road Warriors are bad enough, but uh, the Ultimate Warrior with his uh, his known, shall we say, style or shortcomings in the ring, you, you wouldn't want to be the opposite side of the ring to those three, would you? You know you're not getting an easy night, I, would, I, I think, there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, they only, as far as I can remember, they only had one actual WWF title run. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat the Nasty Boys, didn't they, in 1991 for the titles? Yep. Um, again, it surprises me how, with how memorable this WWF run is and how many great moments there are, how short it was. And the fact that they only had one title run amazes me as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's quite astounding, really. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And it's it's... Looking back, it's it's surprising that they left such a, a big impact. I mean, again, we we talk about 
uh, wrestling not being as accessible back then. So for them to to come in in June of uh, 1990 and then be gone by uh, pretty much August of 1992 and still people were talking about them and then they didn't come back for, what, five, six years or more? Yeah. Uh, and the the pop that they got when when they came back was was absolutely unreal. Uh, so yeah, they they left a a, a huge legacy, uh, and it, it's shocking that that they only had one run. But but then you think about how wrestling was was uh, formulated back then uh, with like having three to four pay per views a year. Uh, the 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 runs with titles were certainly a lot longer, uh, and and tag team wrestling had more of a it was more pushed to the forefront than it is now. So you, you can kind of explain it away like that. But the 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 fact is, yeah, it, it's shocking that they had in this two year run when they were the top dogs, they only had one run with the title. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But again, you got so many. So many standout moments. I mean, the the, the issues with demolition. Actually, very quickly, what was wrong? Out demolition were quite often cited as being a road warriors ripoff, weren't they? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you can obviously see there's strong similarities, can't you? I mean, is that something that you 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 believe that they were done literally to be Vince's version? Um, I can I, I see the influences, and I can no, uh knowing how Vince kind of operates, I can see him kind of wanting to to emulate the Road Warriors uh, uh style. But if you if you go to like the the way that they wrestle, I mean it's the the it's very cosmetic uh how they mm. they they look like uh the Road Warriors in terms of face paint, in terms of like leather and, and sparks. But in actual in ring I think they were they were almost like night and day. The, they were very much more a technical wrestling uh, based uh, team rather than like a smash and grab one like like the Legion do. So, uh, and with me being a, a, a huge fan of Barry Darso, I kind of have a, I do have a soft spot for him anyway. So I don't I don't see him as much of a as a, a rip off as, as, as a lot of people would do. No, oh, I understand. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And again, again, talking these these memorable moments in this short run. There's obviously one that really stands out to me, and mm-hmm. I imagine quite a few other people as well. But it also, in a funny way, symbolises the sort of beginning of the end, I guess. Even though they were around for many more years, it sort of opens up the issues that sort of took the shine off the team, I suppose. But the moment I'm referring to is obviously SummerSlam '92, Wembley Stadium, that long entrance way, um, and packed was it 80,000 people in Wembley. Yeah. That that famous, hugely symbolic music hits, and out comes Paul Ellering, Hawk and Animal riding these huge motorbikes, gold shoulder pads rather than the traditional red and black. Absolutely, I mean, it, it's almost like it, it, you can picture it in your mind right now. It's such a vivid memory for me. Um, but again, this is the, this match and the. The thing, the 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 behaviour of Hawk directly after it, I think, starts to look like the beginning of the end for for the Legion of Doom. Um, what are your thoughts and memories on that SummerSlam '92 entry uh, entrance there? Yeah, it was it's it's iconic. It's yeah probably uh, the the entrance to a match that I've watched the most. Uh, maybe outside. Uh, a Cena return at a Royal Rumble, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's glorious watching uh, 
uh, Hawking Animal riding down on the motorbikes, uh, followed by Paul Ellerin. I mean, the match was was not good. I mean, looking no, no. back, uh, <laughs> looking back, like uh, being objective, it was not a good match. The end actually looks to me like a, a botch when uh, IRS uh, interrupts the the Doomsday Device. Uh, I don't think he was meant to. And then you see Animal calling it in the ring, uh, and you get the very rare pin uh, after a power slam. Yeah, that's um, right. So, in, in, I mean, it was just the crowd, absolutely electric. What a, a great match to, to, to watch. What a great moment for the guys as well to, to be involved in that. But then uh, instantly, well, I think it was like literally the, the day after Hulk quit the company because he, what, he didn't like the uh, Rocco, the puppet gimmick. Uh, if that was a massive sticking point to him and it kind of harkens back to what you were talking about in uh, in uh, uh, Georgia that they built this reputation and being saddled with something that makes them look ridiculous they, they just didn't put up with it and and Hawk uh, was willing to sacrifice the, the WWF money to, to keep that reputation which you kind of have to give him a lot of respect for that um, but yeah I, I love this match I could watch it every single day yeah it, it... What are your thoughts on, on Rocco the Puppet? And I suppose Paul Ellering as well then. Um, he was a big, big part of the the Road Warriors, you know, initially uh, meeting up with them in Georgia and then going with them to the AWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, um, WCW, WWE, wherever. Um, what what are your thoughts on, on Ellering and then obviously Rocco coming in later? I mean... It, it obviously bothered Hawk to the point where he'd had enough. Obviously, he was also, uh, should we say, messed up? Maybe is the term to use. Yeah. He had he had issues, um, alcohol, drugs, and so on. Um, and apparently, Animal again tells a story that Hawk parked his bike too close, and it resulted in um, part of one of the bikes um, burning Animal's leg mm-hmm. uh, as they were getting into the ring. The finish apparently wasn't, as you said, it wasn't supposed to be that way. Um, again, I don't know if that's dying to something Hawk had done or, or forgotten a spot or whatever. Who knows? But apparently he was in quite a state and disappeared yeah. off with, I, I believe it was the Hells Angels, wasn't it? The London chapter of the Hells Angels. He um, went drinking yeah. and, just, and just vanished and yeah. then says about this Rocco thing and, and quit the company. But what, what are your thoughts on, on, on Rocco and Paul Ellering in general? Yeah, it, it seems that this this SummerSlam was was destined to be ruined. I mean, we've got this obviously, and then we had the uh, the Bulldog and Bret Hart match where <laughs> Bret had to carry a, a, a high as a cat Bulldog for a match. But yeah, yeah for for me, I thought that um, Paul Ellering seemed to be kind of the missing piece that that uh, the Road Warriors needed. I mean, on the mat they were absolutely superb, but the he kind of brought brought a like a almost a, like a a legitimacy. He had these like mad rambling promos that that kind of would go all the way around the houses before getting to the point. But they absolutely made sense. And then uh, after like uh, looking into him uh, as I, as I got older, he was it was more than just an on-screen manager. He actually dealt with a lot of their kind of finances. He made sure that they got to the matches that they were meant to get to. So he, he, he did all the, the kind of, uh, uh, the, the essences of a, of a legitimate manager. So I think he was, uh, vital to, to, 
the Road Warriors being as huge a success as they were. Uh, now, getting onto the Rocco, as a kid, I loved it because that was what it was meant to do. It was meant to bring yeah. in a younger audience. It, it absolutely made sense. But then looking back at it and, and you're seeing how uh, Hawk and, and Animal just detested it and you can see how it does make them look silly. It makes them look childish. And I remember they did a promo outside like a... Um, um, it looked like a, a, a blown up building, like a rubble site, and they were saying that they found Rocco in there in the rubble, and he was part of the part of the the, the group and like the the glue that holds them together. And I, back then, I ate it up, but now it's like, yeah, it looks ridiculous, and you can understand why Hope was so pissed off about it. Uh, and then you had the fact that he had the the demons, uh, and he had like people in his ear uh, telling him that he, that uh, he's not being respected. Yeah, and you can you can understand why he he upped and left. But it it seems to be like a almost a recurring thing that that Hawk like leaves Animal in the lurch, and then you 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 talk about that uh, the the documentary, and and you can see. I think have you watched the. Uh, the uh, Dark Side of the Ring episode on them, you can see where Animal was getting frustrated with uh, with the Hawker in during a, during this period and that the further periods throughout the career where the his demons were really kind of like affecting the the team uh, from a business standpoint. So yeah, yeah I, I can understand him being frustrated, but yeah, Rocco was was not for me as an adult anyway. No, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. I can see I can see the motivation, like you said, with, with uh, sort of catering more to a younger fan. But yeah, as an adult, I totally agree. Not for me. Um, you mentioned there about Hawk leaving Animal in the lurch. Um, he, he, he literally did, didn't he? He, he went out partying in London, um, mm-hmm. resigned from the company and then buggered off to Japan, um, leaving Animal to fulfill the last remaining dates they had. Um, I think yeah. he ended up in, in a real ironic twist. I think he ended up on house shows tagging with Crush from Demolition. But obviously, by this stage, Crush yeah. was the Hawaiian Crush, sort of you know, the yellow and uh, an orange uh, ring attire and so on, which is I think quite quite a funny little twist, really. Um, mm. And that was it for a few years. They, they didn't work together um, until 1996, when uh, a Clash of the Champions event, they turn up in WCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clash 24, I think it was. Okay. Uh, yeah. Where um, Rick Rude uh, and the Equalizer uh, was taking on uh, Dustin Rhodes and a mystery partner. Uh, and they, they pulled the old bait and switch because uh, uh, Animal came out driving the Camaro and, and Rick Rude says in, in, the, in the ring, I knew it was going to be Animal that was going to be here, so we've, we've kind of like prepared for it. Yeah. Uh, and then they, they switched in. It was, it was actually Hawk who actually came back. Uh, I think the, the real story was that, obviously, Animal had, had, had left the, the WWF and he had a back injury. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, and then Hawk was uh, was was kicking ass in in New Japan as part of the the Hellraisers uh, with uh, another kind of like uh, very little mentioned uh, member of, of the of the team Power Warrior. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it was a, a 
the, the again you saw that kind of like pop that the road warriors got you you hear iron man play and then all of a sudden everybody's on the feet uh not exactly again not exactly a massive uh long drawn out fight it was a uh, Dusty Rhodes picked up the win after um, Hawk's shoulder tackled him off the top rope when he was just about to be slammed by the equaliser, uh, which led to to Dustin kind of falling on top of the equaliser again. The win, but yeah, the the pop that they got when when you see him back, and it's it's almost like old friends turning back up. Yeah, and and you get a few of those pops, don't you, over the next couple of years? I mean, you got the one there in '96 at, at the Clash event. Um, again, after several years apart as a team, um, but they end up leaving the they end up leaving WCW over well over money, I think he was, um, mm-hmm. and turn up at WrestleMania 14, um, back in the WWF as LOD 2000 with new sort of sprayed helmets and shoulder pads and so on. But again, the reaction of the crowd is just it, it's incredible. It just shows again how. How memorable and loved this team this team were and on a on a very selfish side note um 16 17 18 year old me was all about sunny in this era and when she comes out with the road warriors <laughs> here oh my goodness <laughs> i mean that, she, she went through various spells of her career looking very very attractive this is definitely one of the top ones but yeah they, they arrived back in wwf in 1998 as lod 2000 um but again, it almost seems like it's coming, it's all drawing to a close because the runs are getting short, shorter. The uh, the pot when they come back is great, but then the in-ring work is maybe not as uh, hard-hitting or as uh, standout, which sort of earns them their name. And then in this run also, you had you had Paul Ellering turning heel on them, which, which I find quite strange. Yeah, uh, you're, you're right. And... Um... They they actually came back to the WF like the year before that. Uh, oh yeah, a, sorry, ninety seven. Yes, they, they yeah, returned they, again. Yeah, they, they they kind of went away after they couldn't uh, 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 get the towels off back off uh, the New Age Outlaws. Mm. Uh, and they showed like the the frustration of of uh, of Animal uh, with Hawk, which was uh, which was kind of like a, would end up being a, a recurring storyline going into like this this kind of final run with the with uh, the WWF. But yeah, then they, when they came back as LOD two thousand, it's looked back on with uh, contempt uh, for a lot of, uh, of of LOD fans. But I'm I'm kind of like in the same kind of mindset as you that I thought that Sunny back then did bring something. She brought uh, yeah, definitely. Um, she, I mean, she was never be the uh, brought a lot of fans in uh, of a certain age, um, <laughs> like to, <laughs> and and kind of like refreshed uh, LOD because you, you talk about a team that's been wrestling for the best part of like. 20 years back then and i think they needed that that kind of refreshment uh in in terms of the 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 wwf fan base anyway uh, because it was obviously aging uh they were looking at a, a different demographic and a, maybe not a demographic that that lod would have appealed to at that time so i think adding something to the the team it it really did work um it, but then once she left the team and then we got Droz involved um, mm. and then obviously the 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 Ellering turn when he started with uh, the DOA, yeah, it, it just kind of didn't 
it, it, the, 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 the wheels had fallen off the wagon almost, which to coin a phrase, especially with our Hawks issues. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, a, 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 a you kind of watching a team that implored on a week to week basis. And yeah, it was, it was sad to, to watch. And then you obviously get the, the, the skit where, um, Hawk went for the, to jump off the tantrum for the, and then uh, Droz had put, uh, looked like he'd pushed him off. Uh, both guys, uh, both um, Animal and Hawk, had said they hated this angle, uh, which led to it actually being dropped. But then it gets brought back up later on, and and then they ended up leaving the leaving the company because of it. Yeah, it, it was it, it wasn't nice, was it? Knowing Hawk's um, real life issues. But I suppose mm-hmm. it was it was something very much of that era, wasn't it? Very much uh, the actual era, the sort of bad taste television, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Seeing this Egyptian yeah. storyline playing out in front of us, and then Droz joining the Legion of Doom as well. It just I can understand why they needed a backup for Hawk if he fell off the wagon again. But it almost feels very storylines. I, I don't think you don't need to be overly complicated with, with booking storylines for, for the, for the road warriors that you look through all the moments that we've already discussed in, in, in this, this show, they arrive, they kick ass, they leave effectively. Mm-hmm. They, they occasionally turn on someone. They occasionally have something else going on a rivalry or whatever, but it's all very, very simple and very straightforward. And that's, that's what I think is part of the appeal. There's no nonsense. It's, you know exactly what's going on. Yeah. With Ellering turning, Sonny coming in, um, Droz joining, and then the whole Hawk addiction storyline of him falling off the ropes and looking drunk in matches and all this sort of stuff. It's almost like, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's almost like, I suppose, to, to coin a phrase, uh, overbooking, and it watered the whole the whole production of the team down. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, I, th- I think... For me, it, it's the kind of like the change of 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 the guard almost in wrestling uh, from the era, era that the Road Warriors really kind of like dominated. They were looked at as almost superheroes, like where they were larger than life characters, and then you're coming into the attitude era where everything was was more reality based, and and you you wanted that um, uh, live uh, kind of um, you you don't know what's going on with each one. I, I don't think. Uh, LOD kind of fitted into that and, and it was almost like trying to put a, a square peg into a round hole and, and having all like these extra like uh, convoluted storylines like the Paul Eller in turn um, it didn't help LOD because they were simplistic, they were come in absolutely whoop your ass if you were the champions they wanted the belts uh, if they were the champions they would beat anyone who, who uh, wanted to, to come at them, it was a very simplistic way of booking where in this era of wrestling it was all about the storyline and, and keeping that storyline going to the next pay-per-view. And yeah, it, it just didn't seem to work in terms of LOD. No, no, very true. Very true. Um, after this uh, period here, um, this time Hawk had actually got himself clean. He, mm-hmm. he'd, he'd kicked the drugs, kicked the drink and so on. Um, uh, found God, I suppose, was a, was a born again Christian. He, yep became very religious um but sadly a few years later hawk obviously passes away um animal does return back to the wwf um (laughs) he wrestled a very very few sparing matches on his own but was also partnered with heidenreich 
Um, Christy Hemi was associated with them for a little yeah. while. Um, what what are your thoughts? I think I can guess, but what are your thoughts here on the whole Heidenreich animal? <laughs> it, 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 the fact, I think if it was Heidenreich, an animal, it would have been okay. But the fact that he sort of donned face paint and shoulder pads and so on, Heidenreich I'm referring to, sorry, that didn't sit well with me. No, same with me. I mean, Heidenreich gets a lot of grief as well uh, because... Uh, yeah, he, he just had, it was a charisma vacuum. Yeah, he had he had, he had the the poetry reading in the Lisbon. He threatened to uh to uh, sexually assault uh, Michael Cole in the toilets, and then <laughs> and then they put him uh, in this team. And I can understand why because Animal wanted to come back. He, he felt like he was ready to come back, and they want to to kind of uh, relive that that past glory. And I just don't think Harden Wright was the guy to do that. Um, yeah, I don't look back at this this section of, of the LOD story with a lot of fondness. Uh, no. Yeah, we kind of like just forget about it. It never yeah. happened. <laughs> that's, that's probably the best course of action, I think, yeah. Um, okay, Poor I mean, Harden Wright. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think, honestly, with all the research I've done and, and the extensive research you've done, and the conversations we've had building up to recording the show, I didn't think the subject of Michael Cole being sexually assaulted would come up on a Road Warriors episode. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But there we go. It does fit into the story somehow, doesn't it? Um, as we, uh... yeah, well, it, again, I can, I can link that back, though, because if you remember uh, in the uh, AWA and NWA era, um, Hawk did a promo where he threatened to sexually assault Ric Flair. So there, there, <laughs> there is levels to this. <laughs> well, perhaps perhaps he was just trying extra hard then, Heidenreich, to, to sort of, you know, pick up where Hawk left off. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, I mean, as, as we sort of draw to a close here with, with our with our episode, our, our Road Warriors look back, our Road Warriors tribute, I suppose, for want of a better term. Do you have any other... Matches or moments that really stand out that that, that you want to bring up or, or or can recommend people to look at, Mags? Yeah, uh, I've got a, a a few more matches that people can go and look at. Uh, yes, please carry on. It'd be uh, cool if uh, people went and checked out the Legion of Doom's uh, WrestleMania debut against uh, Power and Glory. It's only a couple of minutes long, and it's uh, it's hardly what you'd call a standout match, but it, it shows how how instantly they were kind of like big shots. Yeah, uh, in the company. Would that uh, be seven WrestleMania seven. WrestleMania seven, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then uh, check out uh, SummerSlam '91, where they faced uh, the Nasty Boys uh, in a no DQ street fight for the tag titles. Um, just, just because it's 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 iconic that they they won the first titles, and it's it's a really kind of like pivotal moment uh, for for the company. Uh, if you've got the network, there's a there's a, another match uh, on WrestleFest 1991. That uh, WrestleFest is like was like a a tape uh, compilation that was released here in in the UK and I assume in America as well, where they take matches from like different uh, parts of a certain era and, and and bundle them together. And there's a match between uh, LOD and the Hart Foundation, which I th- oh yes. If I remember rightly, it's one of the very, very few times that, that those guys actually uh, fought together uh, in, against each other for an opponent. And, and the, it's interesting because that match was actually recorded uh, on the 12th of March uh, and uh, Anvil and, and, and Brett were actually the, the, the champions going into, into WrestleMania. 
uh, but you'll notice that they don't come out with the belt, and that's because they were dropping the belts at WrestleMania Seven. Yeah, and this this video was due for release later in the year, so they're not announced as uh, the champions. They're not they don't come out with the belts, but they still were technically the belts. So it's a little bit of kind of like a peek behind the curtain. Uh, and this uh, match for me, especially shows. Hawks kind of transition into uh, becoming like the the face in peril style uh, of wrestler, where he took a lot of the 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 abuse from uh, from the the Heart Foundation, and then you get the hot tag and animal comes in and 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 does the clean house. Uh, so yeah, that's a, an interesting match to go and watch. Um, then uh, the match against um, Owen and the Bulldog for for the tag team titles at, uh, in your house, Revenge of the Taker. Uh, that's not long after they'd made their return in, in 1997, um, where they, they won the match and, and then uh, it had to be restarted because Animal pinned the Bulldog when Owen was the legal guy. Okay, uh, yeah, I remember that one now, yeah. yeah that, finish, that finish rings the bell, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, it, the, the match actually ends when Bret Hart comes down to interrupt the, the pin on uh, Owen's behalf and it ends up as a as a DQ. So yeah. that's a, a, a good match to, to go and watch. Uh, and then uh, the match where the the God wins against uh, LOD, uh, obviously coming off. Uh, there's a famous story where um, Hawk and Animal broke uh, one of the Godwins' uh, neck. Uh, not obviously not on purpose, but with a botched uh, Doomsday device, and you, you get footage of the ma- of the of the botch, and you can see where uh, Mark Canterbury's head comes down, uh, clearing you. This guy's a big guy, he's like a three hundred pound guy, and you can see the neck on on him uh, bend. But they go and uh, uh, have a have a match, like a almost kind of a, a grudge match, and it's a cool match to go and watch. Uh, then the the last one that uh, I. I it'd be cool for, for listeners to go and watch is when they faced uh, uh, the New Age Outlaws for, for the tag titles. I think it was on a, an episode of Raw in um, in November. Uh, I think it was 24th of November, 1997. And it's where it's, it's kind of almost like a passing of the torch, uh, the last kind of really cool um, run and really cool that storyline that, that they had for the LOD uh, and shows like how wrestling had changed and how it moved on from teams like LOD to, to more more teams like the New Age Outlaws. So that'll be a, a cool one to go and watch. But outside matches, I think people should send, spend a couple of hours on YouTube just watching uh, Legion do promos. That, for me, is the big thing about LOD. The fact that they, back then, were the absolute best at promo work for me. Yeah, when, when this episode comes out, we'll try and tag some um on the on twitter and facebook and so on with various promos and there's one i've seen recently of them stomping around um various building sites and so on very early back in the back in the day there's another one where they head over to japan and there's there's a promo about them arriving in japan um the japanese ones are a little bit a little bit cheesy a little bit funny um but it just just fantastic stuff and some of the lines that hawk especially would come out with are yeah a, a, a brilliant, a brilliant. I mean, well, they they, they were the perfect uh, tandem when it came to promos. I mean, you had Animal yeah. who would he would go through, he promote the match or the feud. He'd go through like uh, telling you who the opponents were, where the match was being held, uh, what kind of match it were, and then you could see when he threw it over to to Hawk with Tell Him Hawk. 
Hawk's brain, you could see in his eyes, he was thinking, what am I going to say here? Because he, he was very much the, the off-the-cuff guy. I cannot... Somebody scripted his promos. No. I think he just went into it and said, right, you've got a 30-second promo, and he just... Whatever came into his mind, he hit a promo about it, and he was so good at it. I mean, some of the, the classics that I can remember is... Um, the, the one where in the SummerSlam 1992 entrance, that's a, and he's one where he talks about uh, the team being a runaway train and how scary yeah. it is. And then uh, even scarier now that Paul Ellering's back running the train. Or you, the one where he um, he goes off on Lex Luger wanting uh, financial security in, in the NWA and he threatens to put him in a, in a wooden box six feet under, that kind of stuff. Um, the Sour and Gory uh, podcast uh, uh, promo <laughs> about uh, Power and Glory. Yeah. Uh, and, it's brilliant stuff, isn't it? It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. For me, one of the best ones and is the, the LOD 2000 one where they, uh, you have DX in the ring, and they're they're uh, they're doing a, a standard DX promo, and then you see uh, LOD two thousand come out with Sonny, and then uh, you've got Hawk uh, calling uh, Billy Mister Ass because obviously that was his name, yeah. and then you've got him saying, "And oh, there's his partner, Road Dog, Mister Hall. What a pair!" <laughs> and then he calls Hunter, "You're there, Mister Nose." Uh, obviously, because Hunter's got a, a big nose, and then China, yeah, and then China he just goes. He just calls her just Mister because obviously the, the there were a lot of kind of talk back then that that, that she was uh, she was not all woman uh, and then he, he kind of ignores X Pac so X Pac like chirps in uh, he gets called uh, X Lax by animal uh, <laughs> and then uh, Hawk Hawk like, starts on him and he uh, he says to X Pac look little man I'm talking to you so X Pac says to Hawk. Uh, why don't you talk to this and start doing the, the DX crock chop and then Hawk just you can see how quick witted he was he went I can't see it it's just brilliant I, yeah. I, I could sit and watch um, Road, uh, uh, Road Warriors promos all day long because the, the just the quick wittedness of the, of the of, well of, especially of Hawk yeah he's just superb so yeah definitely go and check out some promos yeah definitely definitely a couple of quick things then just before I let you get off, Mags, again, thank you very much for coming on the show and helping me go back through the career of this this fantastic tag team that everyone remembers so fondly. Um, Hawk, uh, Michael Hegstrand, we lost him on October 19th, 2003, at the very, very young age of 46. Um, Animal, obviously, passed away much more recently, Joe Laurinaitis, um, September 22nd, 2020. Again, older than Hawk, but at 60, which, again, is is nothing. These guys are passing away very, very young, very sad, but the legacy they leave behind, I think, is is incredible. Um, Where do you now, with 2020 eyes, looking back across all that you know of your extensive wrestling knowledge, whereabouts do you rank the Road Warriors in the all-time tag team lists, you think of the the rock and roll, the midnights, all these wonderful teams. Whereabouts do you rank the, the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal? I'm going to be a hundred percent biased and unashamedly biased. Uh, they're the best tag team to ever be in wrestling. It's as simple as that. For me, 
they were everything that a young fan wanted to to watch and going back through their career now you can I, I, I don't change that 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 uh, kind of viewpoint I loved everything that they did so for me they're the best tag team that, that ever graced wrestling I, I can't disagree with you there I mean I'm a huge fan of the Midnight Express and so on but the memories from when I was younger and now looking back as an adult the Legion of Doom the Road Warriors right up there probably the best to ever do it they had everything they, they, they had everything and they were superb and it's a real real shame that neither of them are, are, are with us anymore um, uh, just to sign off, just one last one last thing before uh, I let you go. Um, do you want to let everyone on on who's listening uh, know where they can find you on, on Twitter? Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, thanks for this opportunity. I, I love coming on on your speaking with you. So it's always a great time, and you know uh, I've never failed to have a. Uh, fun when uh, I'm going back researching the stuff for, for your show so yeah I really appreciate that no, also, thank you I'm, for coming on I really appreciate you coming on Mags it, it's, it's great to speak with you again absolutely not a problem and again I'm going to blow some smoke up your ass. I think you're absolutely doing uh, stellar work I'm really kind of glad that, that you you took the step to to, to come into the podcasting creation uh, scene and yeah you're, you're absolutely kicking ass so keep it up uh, you, you're one of the, the best of us to do it Oh, thanks, mate. You're, you're, gonna, you're getting me all emotional now. Look. We're, just, we're just talking about some of our favourite wrestlers passing away, and now, you, now you're, you're piling compliments my way. I'm going to start, start blubbing. I'm glad there's no one home. They won't see me. <laughs> but no, I really, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate it. I mean, I've, you, you know how nervous I was starting out, and I, I still think I'm very much learning as I go along. But I, I'm enjoying it, and I'll thank you very much for sort of the support you've given me and pushing me in that direction. Absolutely not a problem. Uh, yeah, it, it's great to see you being so successful. Uh, in terms of my stuff, I've just retired a podcast, which is a um, a bit bittersweet uh, with uh, why we watch. But luckily, uh, I had the opportunity to to speak with Simon on that, so you can go and find that in the in the Visionaries Global Media archives. But never fear, I've still got plenty of content uh, coming your way. Uh, me and uh, Paul Tolly still have uh, Badlands, which are but uh, you you may hear a very familiar voice on that in the in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, uh, yeah. Looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a, a podcast I do with my son called Five Rounds uh, about UFC. That's on uh, every wrestling network and and uh, sports network known to man. I think it's out on three or four networks now. Uh, and then I have um, Radio Techers, which is a, a new project done with me and um, me and uh, Tanner about about football and just just in case you didn't have enough of my voice i also am part of a a, a trio that that comes together every fortnight or so to to have a grumble about wrestling uh with uh uh conrad newton who's been a regular on this show and uh matt willis at the table so tell me dear jacob you get links to to all the content that that i put out there so yeah come and check it out yeah, I, I recommend anyone listening does do that. I mean, I'm gutted that Why We Watch is finishing. Um, that's kind of my first, well, the first time I ever spoke on a podcast ever was was with Why We Watch, I believe. And it was, I loved it and it kind of started this off and I always listened to the show. Um, I think it's a real shame that, that that's going. But also at the same time, you're very busy with great shows like Badlands and talk at the table i mean you mentioned conrad there brilliant guest when he comes on here uh, and matt is actually agreed to come on 
very soon to potentially, I think we're going to look back at an old Survivor Series show together. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be a three-hour special. You can, <laughs> you can talk in that. <laughs> I look forward to that. I look forward to that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, well, that, that's, that's that. And that's what uh, we'll, we'll say tonight to everyone listening. And I just want to use one last tweet um, that we received that I think sums up the the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal. Um, it's from Adam at Opzun, O-P-Z-U-N, um, on Twitter, and he simply said, captivating. And yeah. I think that's the spot on the money and a real good way to sort of sum up these guys' careers and the enjoyment they gave us as fans. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no, there's no way that I can let you leave this podcast without dropping uh, and uh, what a rush <laughs> fantastic stuff Mags thank you very very much again for taking some time out of your very busy schedule I look forward to speaking with you again soon sir absolutely anytime